We are into hour two of the program. It is Sportsnet today. Logan Gordon along with you from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios here in Calgary, Alberta. Hour one in the books. A little NFL chat with our pal Andy McNamara. Getting closer to the NFL regular season kicking off in early September. And also took a look at the big NHL news today. The Red Wings acquiring Jeff Petrie from the Montreal Canadiens. We dove into that early in hour one. If you missed any of it, you can catch it on our podcast. Go up moments after every hour. Finishes here on Sportsnet 960. Google, Amazon, Spotify, or your favorite pod catcher. Lots to get to here in hour two. We got a Jays report. We got a Stamps report to get to to get you caught up on both of those squads. But we're starting off the hour. Just a couple races left in the WPCA season. It is time for our WPCA report. It's time for the World Professional Truck Wagon Association Report. Hear the latest updates from the world of the WPCA and exclusive interviews with the biggest drivers in the sport. The WPCA Insider Report is brought to you by the World Professional Chuck Wagon Association. Racing to the Century Downs Racetrack and Casino World Finals August 23rd to 27th. Get your tickets now at showpass.com. And joining us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline for our WPCA report this afternoon. Very happy to welcome in Dustin Gorse this afternoon. Dustin, thanks for the time, sir. How are you? Hey, guys. How's it going? We're doing great. Thank you for the time this afternoon. How's the season been? We're winding up with just a couple more races left here, Dustin. Yeah, sadly, she's coming to an end. You know, uh, we, we enjoy the summer, and when, it, when it's all over, she's a sad weekend. Uh, what's this uh, second half of the year like? Because talking to different drivers, it sure seems like there's the, the races leading up to the stampede, and then there's the weeks afterwards where you're sort of adjusting and then ramping up for the finals that we'll see in a couple weeks here. Well, uh, to be honest, the Century Down finals are are very important for us because it gives you something geared up to look forward to the end of the year. Uh, past years, uh, before that, you know, it was a little bit of a letdown up in July after you were done, and uh, mm-hmm. but now you now we're ramping up um, for for the second biggest show on tour uh, coming in a, in a week here. So it makes you excited. It, it uh, the the way that the format has they set it up in. Uh, Essentially, not only is that they have that seventy-five thousand dash. There's big dashes in every day, every race on the last day, so it gets you fired up for sure. That seems to be a pretty popular one among most of the drivers we talk to. Is those formats that do have that that dash at the end of the weekend, just that little bit of incentivization to get there. And it seems like there's no, no better way to end off a, a weekend or a week at a place than to have that dash for cash. Well, it gives you a storyline too, a yeah. weekend, week out. And same with the points, and it gives you value to the points. So that that means that Wednesday night is just as important as Saturday night. And you know, just like in any any sport, when you have a storyline, you're going to have more people follow, and it's more exciting. Uh, Dustin, you're the driver director responsible for the uh, Century Downs Racetrack and Casino World Finals. Uh, for people that maybe haven't been out there to Century Downs to check this out, why has this become such a, a big race on the season for everybody? Well, honestly, like I said, it's the second biggest show on tour for us um, with the second, the same same size of dash as uh, Pinoca for those guys in the top 12. And and obviously the facility is, is probably the nicest facility we go to yeah. as far as the, the grounds, 
for the fans. You know, where the fans are tucked up nice and close compared to other places where they're you're basically on the lap of the top of the four barrel, and then they have those infield suites. Um, the track is obviously perfect. The, the barns, we got all boxed all, so we can do a little better job uh, hosting there with our sponsors. And, you know, it's just the next level of facility. Uh, before we get there, though, we got the Battle of the Rockies coming up in uh, just a couple of days' time. Talk about uh, what this race is like for a lot of racers up at Rocky Mountain House. Well, it's actually a nice, quiet facility when you're uh, used to the hustle and bustle of bigger shows. You know, you get down by the river here, and it kind of feels like you're camping and then relaxing a bit. So it is nice. It's, uh, it is a beautiful town. Um, they do a good job with their facility here, and uh, obviously this is the one that sets everything up for, uh, for the final. So it's, it's just as important. And, uh, you know, we're, every time you get a chance to race a truck wagon in front of a, a sold-out grandstand, yeah, it, it makes you feel good about yourself and what you're doing. So, Rocky's that that place where they they sell out every night, and uh, you know when you get to do that, it uh, it makes you feel uh, good about what you're doing. And this is the last chance for drivers to qualify for the Century Downs playoff round, correct? Yes. Yeah. So big. So it's got a lot of meaning to a lot of guys heading into to this weekend if they haven't already qualified, eh? Yeah, it kind of looks like the top twelve is already set, but. Uh, you know, um, they've earned it. They've worked hard all year, and uh, the guys on looking on the outside are just hoping for a little bit of luck to get in. But, you know, um, Rocky is a, is a nice facility. You, you wish it'd grow into to the big dash and the extra day like some of the other shows, but uh, I think in time it, it will get there. Uh, from a, a personal perspective, how have you felt the season's gone for your crew, Dustin? Uh, I had some mid-season woes with barrels. Um, early on we were strong uh we were ready but just uh apparently trouble mid-season um trying to get it ironed out here throughout the end but uh you know I- i'm i'm an optimistic guy i'm always happy to be part of the sport and uh grateful to be uh, part of the tour and you know um in time our name will be higher up in the standings and uh it- it'll- it's all part of the process yeah and that process as i've talked to to many drivers during this uh this whole summer dustin is figuring out that perfect mix of horses and, and how you want to ride out through a season and trying to, to make those in-season adjustments. I imagine that's as big of a, a prop or a, a big of a, an undergoing for you as it is for any driver. Well, you know, to be honest, there's so many nice outfits and, and lots of guys have so many nice lead teams um, everywhere. Like you look through the lineup, there's the, the two big boys that Jamie and, uh, chance that really rock on it and part of that is because they have such nice wheelers and then as you go throughout the standings down below most guys are only a horse or two away like that one big time wheeler so you're always looking for that big time wheeler everybody's got like i said really nice leaders and so you're only a horse away and saying that that horse only comes around once in a while but uh you're just waiting for your time to find them that's what when the last day of century comes around and you drop the ramp at home you just flip the switch to next year and start buying and looking for the new, the new superstar. And the beauty of our sport is we get to go out and go to racetracks and pick them ourselves. You're not in a draft like other sports, you know, like you yeah. got to wait for your selection. We get to go hunt. We're kind of like junior A hockey. Like okay. DJ. Yep. You got to go find it yourself. And if you're lucky enough to find that star, um, then you'll be off the next season. So, you know, that's, that, that's the beauty of our sport. And, you know, you're always a horse away and, uh, hopefully uh, next year we find that horse and we're off and going. Uh, and Dustin, as always, it's uh, important uh, to give some love to the people that help you guys get up and down the road. I know sponsors 
always a big part of what you guys do. Who helps you get down the road when it comes to uh, helping you guys out this summer? Oh, I have a big group. I'm very fortunate. I've had a lot of guys um, been with me a long time that uh, get the vision. They come and they have a good time. Um, they're part of the good times and the bad times. And, uh, you know, I'm very spoiled. You know, Century Downs themselves have been excellent to me. They've been with me a long time. Rob Sims with BrokerLink and GP Air, Jody at uh, at uh, Big Time Towing. I got a couple new ones on this year that are fired right up. And, you know, when I couldn't do it without them, um, it, it, it makes it more fun. They become family. And, uh, you know, they, they're part of, they're just a part of it and me and the horses. That's great to hear, Dustin. Always love hearing that uh, that relationship, and it always makes it that much more special for you guys. Dustin, thank you for the time today. I really do appreciate it. Best of luck in Rocky Mountain House, and hopefully we're seeing you in a packed crowd uh, with everybody else at Century Downs in a couple weeks' time. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Keep pushing the finals for us. You know, this is a big show for us, and we need to, to continue, and anybody listening, uh, if you're going to watch Chuck Wagons, you're going to want to watch it at Century because you're so close to the action and, and lots going on, and uh, it's a beautiful facility. Not a problem. Dustin, take care. Thanks for the time, sir. Thank you. Take care. Dustin Gorse joining us down the Atlas Beach and Sports Bar guest hotline for our WPCA Insider Report. It's brought to you by the World Professional Chuck Wagon Association racing to the Century Downs Racetrack and Casino World Finals August 23rd to 27th. Yes, get your tickets now at showpass.com. If you missed out, you didn't go to Stampede, or you missed going to one of the other various races on the WPCA schedule this summer, you still have a chance, as you heard from Dustin there, one of the nicest facilities to go to to catch a chuck wagon race. They've got races all weekend long at Century Downs. Go to showpass.com and make sure to get your tickets ahead of the 23rd or the 27th at Century Downs. Looking like it's going to be a fantastic show. We've had some great chuck wagon races and some storylines throughout the year. And uh, speaking of the WPC report, someone that used to do the WPCA report back in the day here on Sportsnet 960, joins us. It is Pat Steinberg. You know him as Fan 960 Steinberg, DJ Powerplay. Uh, he's a cutie patootie, and he's across from okay. me now. Hi, okay. Patrick. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. You used to do the – I didn't even realize you were doing the WPCA report before I even got here. Yeah, I love doing that thing. Awesome. Still, I'm still a little broken up about <clears> – <throat> The dash for cash. <laughs> yeah, you, you're talking to me about you. You were very close to uh, to bringing home some money on the Calgary Stampede dash for cash, and you just Kurt was that close. To... I was happy for uh, I was happy for Lane, but I was Kurt was that close down the. Uh... He was a thirty to one. He was a thirty to one. Uh, like his odds going into the Rangeland Derby, four time winner Kurt Benzmiller was thirty to one. You're like, okay, I got to put some money down. So me and a buddy. Each put a good chunk, not like not a lot of money, but a decent chunk of cash down. Uh, and we made sure we went to the dash and uh, that close, that close. So close. Oh, well. Uh, and uh, we've been doing this the last couple of weeks as well here on the program. A chance for you to win your way in to the WPCA World Finals, uh, World Championships. Uh, every day we're doing, or at least every WPCA report, we're giving one lucky listener a chance to uh, get tickets for Friday, August 25th for a behind-the-scenes tour for you and three friends at the WPCA World Championship. The finals at Century Downs Racetrack and Casino, August 23rd to 27th. Racing starts at 7 p.m. on Wednesday to Saturday and 2 p.m. on Championship Sunday. It's a five-day championship event. Features world's premier chuck wagon drivers, outriders, and horses. 
competing for the richest prize money payout, one of the richest money payouts in the sport, including over $100,000 on Championship Sunday. Tickets now at showpass.com. Be there when the wagons roll. But if you can tell me, as of this Tuesday, who sits on top of the WPCA world standings, we've had them on the show before. If you can tell me at 960-960 who is on top of the WPCA world standings as we head into Rocky Mountain House this upcoming weekend with your first and last name on the text, you and three friends are going to get a behind-the-scenes tour on August 25th at the WPCA World Championship. So one more time, we've had them on the show before for a WPCA Insider Report, but heading into Rocky Mountain House this weekend, who is on top of the world standings for the WPCA? If you can tell me who that is, with your first and last name on the text, you and three friends can win a behind-the-scenes tour at the WPCA World Championships on Friday, August 25th. Uh, we've got some hockey news to discuss today, Pat. Mm-hmm. And uh, very interesting. We, we kind of saw this coming. We were talking about it last week when it happened. You had to figure out... Had to figure, and Eric Engels was kind of all over this, our guy from Sportsnet who covers the Habs, that Jeff Petrie, who had previously asked out of Montreal, wasn't exactly going to be keen to return there once mm-hmm. again after just one season in Pittsburgh, and he expected them to move on from him. That happens today as he gets moved to the Detroit Red Wings, who all of a sudden have a depth of defensemen there for Steve Eiserman as well as uh, one young Moritz Sider who needs a new contract next season. Well, and they're... So... That contract that Jeff Petrie originally signed was $6.25 million. Uh, 25% of that got retained when he got dealt to Pittsburgh, I believe. Uh, or no, maybe he was in the in the, in the Carlson, the Carlson trade. trade, 25%. Yeah. So no salary was retained when he got drafted to dealt to Pittsburgh. But then when he got moved back to Montreal, Pittsburgh ate 25% of the salary. Now Montreal's eating 50%, 50%. of the salary. So Detroit's only eating 37.5% of Petrie's $6.25 million. So his cap hit with the Red Wings is less than $3 million. Yeah, I think 2. he's at 2.8 something. 2.3? Yeah. I tell you, but my computer won't turn on. I can see that. It's really, really It was pissing just you working. Off. <laughs> it was just working. And now I want, like, it's not. Uh, I was saying this earlier when we were talking about the trade. Steve Eisenman's really reworked this back end. And you look at the names that are there. It's a pretty crowded group. Sherratt, Goss, Despair, Hall, Wallman, Mata, Petrie, Sider. It's a it's a big group, and somebody yeah. who is making considerable money. I don't know if it's Jeff Petrie. I don't know if it's a guy like Shane Goss, Despair, because it's not Moritz Sider, who we know is an everyday player in the NHL. But one of those guys is going to be sitting out on a night to night basis, unless Derek Lalonde stuns us and is is rolling seven defensemen most nights, or if Steve Eiserman's not done. Um, well, and that's and that could be the case too, because I really wonder about the uh, some of like I, I think I think for Eiserman and the Red Wings, they and I know there are some who are maybe not enamored with the way that Eiserman has gone about building that team and and maybe looking at some of the draft work that he's done and and you know I've seen some of the prospects guys not necessarily the most glowing about the way that uh, Eiserman has has used all of his draft uh, draft capital, but. I take a look at where the Red Wings are, and they've been building here for the last little while, and they've been moving back towards respectability to the point that last year they were a very competitive group. 
I just wonder. I just wonder if if Iserman's not done. I wonder if there's still more. I mean, DeBrinket's already been brought in. Now they go and get Petrie. I just wonder if they look at one of those other blue liners as a potential trade chip, and maybe they can continue to upgrade their group. I I just I I wonder if Iserman still has irons in the fire here. And I wonder if his work in building this team and trying to get them to be a more competitive group uh, is is not done, even this offseason, and even knowing that we're moving close to or closer to the start of training camp. Yeah, when we did our offseason review for Detroit, it was interesting. It was before the Debrinket trade actually happened, and um, we were talking a lot about top six maybe isn't as deep for this team as you think. David Perron's 35 years old. He's at the end of a contract here coming up for Detroit. Uh, they banked on Robbie Fabry being able to stay healthy and provide for them. He hasn't been able to do that. It's been, unfortunately, the story of Robbie Fabry's career, but he only played 28 games last season. Debrinkit certainly helps, and you like their their depth on offense a lot more with him there, but you know, you're know you kind of looking at everything going, okay, JT Comfer, David Perron, Robbie Fabry, are these guys that we necessarily think of as top six guys for Detroit, guys that can push you to to that next height. I think Lucas Raymond has a chance to be a really good player for them, but again, has only played two seasons under his belt, and Detroit's looking to take that that next step forward, and it wouldn't surprise me, like you, that they're maybe going to use some of that defensive depth to help push mm-hmm. for somebody for some more offensive pop. And, and I mean, the DeBrinket acquisition looks really good on him. And I, when, when you're talking about Larkin being there for the foreseeable future, I mean, I, I do like the way that they're moving, but I'm with you. I still, I still don't know if they're, and who the hell knows who it could be, but I still don't know if I take a look at that group of forwards and say, yes, they've got that elite guy. I mean, DeBrinket is a 40-goal scorer, and Dylan Larkin is one of the more underrated centers in the NHL, but do I take a look at that group? I like the acquisition and the signing of Daniel Sprong. I think that's a really nice ad for him. But when you take a look at that group, I don't know if I sit there and say they strike fear in you, and that's a no-questions-asked bona fide playoff group that you're talking about in Detroit. I like their blue line. I think they're deep on the blue line, but I think they could still do some work. I think there's still some work to be done there for them to take that next step. Well, and I think I think specifically when you talk about the draft picks and the guys that they've been waiting for, there are three in my mind that they probably would have hoped for to taking on bigger offensive roles. Raymond, Rasmussen, and Zadina. Zadina didn't work out. Mm-hmm. Now remember the San Jose Sharks. That one completely went out of Detroit's hands. Rasmussen, still 24, but only had 29 points last year. Wasn't a full-time season for him. And like I mentioned, Lucas Raymond, 74 games, 45 points. It's it's good. You want to see that continue for a guy that's 21, but you've had a couple of top 10 forward picks here that haven't turned into the kind of offensive drivers you'd hope they'd be in Detroit. Yeah, and, and Rasmussen's the one that I think is is most interesting because if you take a look at some of his underlying numbers, he's actually trending in a really strong direction and was actually pretty productive when he was on the ice. I still, uh, just based on a couple of things, a couple of people I've talked to, I mean, I, I think I think Iserman and the Red Wings still uh, look at Rasmussen as a, as a pretty... Um, as a pretty big part of their future going forward. So I'm, I'm curious to see what we see from him, and I'm curious to see what the rest of the or, – or, or what the next couple of years look like for him because of all of them, he's the guy that I think I'm most interested in moving forward, of all the guys that you mentioned. And, anyway. you, know, and you know what I didn't even bring up and I should have? Um, 
and someone texted it to me as I was waiting here. Um, that's not even mentioning that decor. Uh, Simon Edmondson played nine games last year, was the sixth round pick in 2021, or sixth overall pick, excuse me, in 2021. Now he's just 20 years old, Swedish defenseman there, but he played 52 games with Grand Rapids last year. And would it stun you to see a guy like that make a push towards the NHL, nope. right? The Detroit's brought him in for nine games already. They clearly see that he's close to the NHL level. So mixing another guy there, that's at least eight or nine names that you say are at or close to the NHL yep. level for Detroit. That's a lot. Yep, 100%. And, I mean, again, I still, I still think that we're talking about a team that has got some steps to take and is moving in the right direction. But I think in that market, they've been out of the playoffs for long enough that they probably look at it and say, no, it's, it's time to start moving back towards a little more respectability. It's, start to, it's time to start being a little bit more competitive. And it's not just because they were in the playoffs for 25 straight years. It's like that's an original six market that is uh, a very passionate market. And Steve Eisenman's been the GM there for a long time. And he had a lot to clean up. And he had a lot of Ken Holland stuff that he need to, needed to figure out. And he put you know, put on the table a really long-term plan for this team to be good. But I think it's time for that start to, for, for people in Detroit to start seeing that bear a little bit more fruit. Uh, quickly, because I know it's, it's gone there already. I've seen it on social media. It's something I brought up an hour one. Um, to me, it's apples and oranges. I don't relate anything of Jeff Petrie being traded to anything related to Noah Hannafin being I don't moved. Know. I mean, Do you see any correlation or any? Only because I thought Detroit was a really interesting spot for him to end up if they were to move him. Well, and I, I did too until I started looking at their decor and I just go, I don't I know where he fits. Well, but I think he, outside of Cider, I think he's better than everybody on uh, everybody on that decor. I guess, but they, they went out and got a right-handed shot, though, that doesn't... I'm not unless I'm, they're going to move somebody. They still have the cap space to do something. I just, to me, it was a little bit apples to oranges. I didn't know that it it correlated. And look, we can disagree. I just, to me, one was a 36 year old defenseman coming in on retained salary who didn't want to be in Montreal as a right shot. And to me, Noah Hanif is more of a long term piece. And look, maybe they're maybe the the view is to do both and move something else out. But I didn't know that. I didn't feel as though there was necessarily frustration because another D-man got moved and Noah hadn't. I and I don't know if we're talking about. Um, I don't know if we're talking about you know it being. Um, I don't know if you're frustrated by it. If you're the Flames, I just I, I just wonder if that could have been a potential landing spot for them. When you take a look at their cap space and where they're trying to go, but if you're the Red Wings, you're like, well, we could have. Again, this is kind of one of the issues that the Flames have run into because I think, for instance, Colorado was a team that I think was interested in. As Elliot Friedman's reported a couple of times. Colorado was a team that was very much in on Michael Backlund, but that Ryan Johansson trade, they got Ryan Johansson for essentially nothing. So all of a sudden, the Flames asking for something for Michael Backlund, as they should, becomes a little less attractive. And so if you're the Red Wings, you just gave up very little to bring in Jeff Petrie with salary retained, and now he's a cap hit of under $3 million, under $2.5 million on your cap. Maybe that is a little bit more attractive than spending big assets on a guy like Noah Hannafin. So that's that's more why I wonder if it 
takes the Red Wings out of the running because it just makes them that much deeper. I'm not saying it completely does. As you mentioned, they still have cap space to get it done, but I did wonder about Detroit being a potential landing spot for him. And I think there's still maybe something to talk about about that if if that's something that Detroit wants to do because we both looked at the roster here immediately and said it feels like there could be something else to do. Maybe it does involve moving out a left-handed defenseman and, and still needing to fill that void. There is still plenty of time for that to happen uh, before the regular season starts. And clearly there's still GMs out there that want to make significant ads to their, to their roster as of today. Yeah. Uh, interesting piece of news before we get out of here. Uh, a guy with flames connections calling it a career today. Paul Byron has announced his retirement uh, dealt with injuries the last couple of years, but 34 years old, Ottawa native, of course, uh, played a couple seasons, parts of four seasons here in Calgary before being claimed on waivers by the Habs. Last uh, NHL appearance, 2021-2022, 27 games with the Habs, where he put up seven points, but he's been dealing with injuries for a while now. 46 games the previous year, 29 before that, 56 uh, in 2018-19. But a guy that I think that always gets recognized here in Calgary because of uh, the waiver claim and going on to have some productive years with the Habs. Yeah, that uh, that one still I I, I still, still stings around that's, here. That's still one that they did not need to lose for nothing. They did. That was all based on, if I remember correctly, them wanting to keep three goalies and not Orteo expose Ordeo on waivers. Yeah, and so they exposed uh, Byron on waivers, and he got claimed. Look, Byron was never good. Like he was never um, a, a top flight impact maker. But what he was, he was a good. Middle six, bottom six forward, a hell of a penalty killer. He did a lot of good things. He was a very fast player. So, I mean, I I don't know. I I, I think that they're, uh, I I understand why people were frustrated by that. I was frustrated when they lost him on waivers. That was what, 2013 when that happened? Then he's been. Uh, 2014. 2014, right. Um, Yeah, Brad Living's first year. Um, And he's been on, uh, he's been with Montreal ever since. Couple twenty goal seasons mixed in there. A forty-three point year uh, in 2016-17 would go on to be his best. Uh, as Paul Byron calls it, a career. Five hundred and twenty-one regular season games with two hundred and eight points. Spent time between the Sabers, Flames, and the Montreal Canadiens. We'll take a break. We'll come back on the other side. We've got a stamps report to get to. We'll check in at McMahon Stadium and some good injury news for the Toronto Blue Jays the last couple of days. Taylor's got your Jays report. That and sports that today rolls on. You're on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Following a tough loss in BC to get you all caught up with the Stampeders from practice on Tuesday, here's your Stamps Report with Patty Dumas. This, this is the Stamps Report with Patrick Dumas. Tuesday saw the Stampeders return to the practice field at McMahon Stadium looking to move on from their defeat at the hands of the BC Lions last weekend. A couple notes off the top. Rookie receiver Clark Barnes and fieldside corner Jonathan Moxie were not practicing. Moxie off to the side with his positional group while Barnes had a walking boot on. Here's Coach on their situations. Well, he hurt his knee, so he's uh, obviously got a test yesterday. We're waiting on the results, but he's pretty sore. Um, so hopefully we get good news, but he's pretty sore. So Mike Stinch, that could open up uh, Marquise Ambles for an opportunity. How's he progressing there? Well, I mean, he's progressing well. We've also, Colton and Rice should be ready to go as well to keep that Canadian ratio what we want it to be. Uh, so we'll see how he plays out. But I know Marquise, we gave him a few more reps today, um, trying to get him to learn multiple spots. Hopefully it helps his knowledge. Back spasms, felt better though. Um, trying to be smart, it's a short week. Uh, I'd like to think we could see him out there practicing tomorrow. 
Definitely good news on the Moxie front as it's just back spasms and should be good to go for Wednesday's session. And we'll see with Clark, but having Canadians in Rice and John and Colton Hunchek getting closer, that will certainly help any blow to this Canadian depth of this team. The last two games for Calgary, at least in the passing game, hasn't seen the big play, and Jake Mayer has been held under 200 yards in both of the club's last two outings. I asked Coach Dickinson if there was more that his receivers could be doing more to help out his quarterback. You know, obviously a quarterback always looks at himself first as, yeah. as that's just the, the nature of the business, but we need everybody to, to up their game. Um, you know, we, we've got some players there, and the offensive line, I think, uh, yeah, can do better, but they move some people in the line scrimmage. We know it's always a battle, one of the toughest games of the year against a great front with Winnipeg. So, yeah, we got to make some plays, whether that's in the run game, the pass game, we'll see. But in order to win, we're going to have to make some plays. Football is the ultimate team sport, and you need all 12 guys pulling in that same direction. Coach also made a good point on the relationship between a quarterback and head coach. I really feel like head coach and quarterback got a lot of similarities. I mean, uh, I think you do wear it when it's not going well, uh, especially for the team. And that's just the reality of you've got a lot of say in the game. You've, you touch the ball on every play. Um, you want to be at your best, but it is a 12-man game. Um, but you're right. Um, just find something to get better at each and every day. Uh, have faith in your guys, but communicate. And uh, be that leader and coach them, but also up your game. So if, if we do get some guys open or if he likes a certain concept, let's make sure we know about it and hopefully it works. When a team is struggling, it's all about finding the things in practice or the game that work and how you can build on it. And you can get a sense that that's what the coaches around this offense are trying to do. Friday night's game against the Bombers is a big one, not only in the West Division standings, but that the theme of the game is Legacy Night. Coach Dave Dickinson was a backup to Jeff Garcia that year, and he shared a little bit of his memory from that 98 group. I talked to our guys. Um, to me, a legacy, it can be good or bad um, because it's how you're remembered. And uh, a lot of good memories from 98. Boy, does that seem like a long time ago. No, it really does. I would have been in my third year and. Uh, you know, I, I do remember it well. I remember that uh, that group had was frustrated that they hadn't won more championships. Uh, previous one, I believe, was 92, and they felt like they had teams that could have and should have won more. Um, we did, obviously, uh, rally and have another good regular season, but it was all about the playoffs and, uh, you know, obviously won it in style. Mark McLaughlin makes a winning kick. He had a rough year. His dad had passed, and uh, he really had probably his worst statistical year of the whole season, and yet uh, he made the kick when we needed it most. So I'm happy to see him. I know Jeff got people fired up with a nice video yesterday. I love hearing Jeff and uh, looking forward to seeing those guys. But even some of the other guys, the Greg Knoxes of the world, you know, Dwayne Ford, uh, Jackie Kellogg, guys I like to stay in touch with, really looking forward to seeing them. Certainly going to be a special night on Friday when the team honors the 98 Grey Cup champions. And I love Dave's point on that group that it always felt like it was a bridesmaid throughout most of the 90s. And for it all to culminate with those black unis at old Winnipeg Stadium was truly special. Wednesday's session is closed to the media and public and Thursday is a walkthrough. So it's a short week to get prepped for the 7-2 and Bombers on Friday night. With your Stampeders report, I'm Patrick Dumas. Thank you, Patty. Appreciate that. Yes, Legacy Night coming up for the Calgary Stampeders. Friday against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers will be a tough test for the Stamps. Bombers 7-2 and two on the season. Stampeders really need to rebound after a poor performance in Week 10. We'll see uh, Clark Barnes spotted with a significant brace on his leg. Sounds as though Mark Keith Ambles, who was part of that 2018 Grey Cup winning team, however, uh, will be back in action for the Stampeders. And, Patty, that's a, a big W for the Stamps to be able to get Mark Keith Ambles back in 
Uh, Clark Barnes has been great for the team as a young receiver this year, but offensively they need to get something going. Maybe Ambles is the answer to that. Rolling back the clock, Begleton, Ambles, and Michelle all in Calgary's receiving core. And you pretty just, dynamic at one point. You, you you sure would hope that they can uh, recreate some of the offensive magic they had when all those three guys were together last time around. I just they they need to. We talked a little bit about this on yesterday's show, but they need to figure out how to be a more dynamic offense. That just they they need to um, they they need to figure that part out. And and part of that is Jake Mayer. Part of that is Mayer being a little bit more dynamic. Part of that is uh, a little bit more uh, of an ability to take some risks if you're Jake Mayer. That is super, super important. And then, and then, you know, I, I think that I think that they they probably need to um, play calling wise, go out of their way to get a guy like Mark and Michelle a little bit more involved in the offense. Um, there's there's they've got a lot of work to do. And now they go up against this Bombers team that has won three straight, a Bombers team that. There's no question who the elite three teams are in the CFL right now, and Winnipeg is unquestionably one of them. They've gone to three straight Grey Cups. They look like they could very easily go again. Their biggest hurdle is the BC Lions, and they just pounded BC a couple of weeks ago. Uh, This is going to be a really interesting test for Calgary. And the one thing that actually gives me a little bit of, of, I don't know if hope is the right word, but optimism anyway, is the fact that Jake Mayer has actually played really well against Winnipeg. Some of his best outings last year. I remember that game in Winnipeg, IG Field. Bombers would end up winning, but it went back and forth all night long. And Jake Mayer and Zach Caleros went shot for shot. Mayer was going down the sidelines. Mayer was was making uh, very confident plays. And I remember that game um, between Winnipeg and Calgary at IG Field. I want to say it was like week 14 of last year or something like that. Mm-hmm. I, I remember that game vividly because it was the first time that I was like, damn, I think that this is the right guy. And, you know, we're, we're very... We're a very biased group here when it comes to Bo Levi Mitchell, and at least I am. And I remember watching that game and saying, yeah, you know what? I think this is probably the guy. I think that as much as I love Bo, I, th- I think it's probably time for the changing of the guard to, to be solidified even this offseason. And so that gives me a little bit of optimism going into this weekend because if Jake can play well against this Bombers team, a Bombers team that we don't think, did Caleros practice today? No, um, I haven't heard. Uh... Anything of that nature. I'll look here a couple couple guys that I know. So if Caleros doesn't go and then look He has not he did not Okay, so I don't think I don't think he's gonna play. Why would you why would you push your your most important player when you don't really need to? And Brown looked good in that comeback yeah, exactly. against you need to rush him back. And, and all Brown has done is look good when he's been pushed into action. So I, uh, that's a that's a tough test that the Stampeders have at home and a Bombers team that is feeling it right now. And this uh, it is a fascinating schedule because they've got two heavies. They got Winnipeg, Toronto back to back before they better win both those games against Edmonton on Labor Day in the rematch. And then they've got we talked about yesterday that those three games against Montreal, Hamilton, and Saskatchewan before they finish off with a tough test again. Like this is not the schedule does not look super great for the Stampeders either. They're already behind the eight ball. The sa- the one saving grace is that I don't know what to expect from Saskatchewan either. And they've got that one more head to head with the Riders. And so if they can stay within a game of the Riders going into that game in a few weeks, 
well, that's probably six, seven weeks from now. They can stay within a game of the Riders going into that game, which I think is, what, week 19? Um, I think they've got a chance still to make the playoffs in the West Division. Problem is, if you make the playoffs in the West, you go to BC or Winnipeg, and, and <laughs> that's, that's no fun. And if you cross over, you've got to finish ahead of Hamilton. You can't just be tied with them. So they're... This is, uh, this is, here we are, the Stampeders are officially halfway through their season, and for the first time in 15 years, I don't know if they're making the playoffs. And, and I think they still have a chance. I think with, and, and you've been watching them as closely as I have this year. I see, uh, I see you tweeting about them all the time, and I, I, I quite enjoy that. I, I still think they're better than what they've shown, and maybe that's me being... Uh, a little bit too biased. Maybe that's me being a little bit too optimistic or have the, the red and white blinders on, but I still think they're significantly better than what they've shown because they have shown stretches at different times this year where certain facets of their game have looked elite. Like I still think Brent Monson is a high-end defensive coordinator in this league, and that acquisition of Micah Alway has been outstanding. I don't think Julian Hauser has gotten into his groove anywhere near as well as he could, and I think will still. Cam Judge and Alway have been great. I'm a little worried about that defensive backfield, but they can get a little bit more push on the outside of their front four, then I think that can start to rectify some issues. And at times, this offense has looked dynamic. It's not like Mayer has been Mr. Dink and Dunk all year long. He's got a couple of games up over 300, one up over 400. So I, I still think there are, and the special teams has been solid. Cody Grace is a top one or two puncher in this league, and Rene Paradis is, is as accurate as they come and is as reliable as they come, even though he's missed a few more gimmies than we're used to this year. I, I, just, I, I still think there's more that the Stampeders have to show us. The problem is they've had such a problem getting it all together on one night. They've had nights where their defense has looked really strong and the offense has let them down or vice versa. So, And then there is the game against BC where nothing worked, mm. including special teams. Uh, how about the other piece of CFL news we got today? Uh, it started to come out yesterday, but it was made official today. The Elks and Victor Cooey, CEO yeah. and president, have mutually parted ways. Uh, Todd Richards, the chair of the team's board of directors, giving uh, Chris Jones a vote of confidence today, describing his job security as solid. I'd like to see him win some more games, but he wants to win games too. Uh, I don't think anybody, including him, saw where we are today, but confidence remains in Chris Jones. Uh, I don't know what to make of this. There was some mixed reporting that uh, perhaps Victor Cooey wasn't as easy to work with behind the scenes as some people would have imagined. I liked what he was doing. Uh, with, with some of the initiatives to get people to Commonwealth and to try to bring the Elks to the forefront of, of sporting minds in Edmonton during the summer. But I, I thought he was always fighting an uphill battle until some of the results on the field uh, turned around as well. It wasn't in any of his control how that was going. And clearly uh, the board in Edmonton still feels as though Chris Jones is the guy for the job. Yeah, which inexplicably so um it's interesting there's lots of differing opinions or reports coming out about Cooey leaving um you know that maybe it had nothing to do with the on-field product maybe it had nothing to do with chris jones maybe it had some i i don't i don't know i, I think it's fascinating i'm gonna steal this right from jason greger in edmonton <laughs> but i saw him tweet this i'm like it's very true like they mutually parted ways did they 
Yeah, that's, that's always an interesting hey, phrasing of it. Hey, Logan, we're going to fire you. I guess I won't fight it. Does that, does that mean that you're mutually, mutually parting agree, ways? Yeah. I, I guess so. Um, that team is an absolute disaster, though. I, I do think making a change, and I'm, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm a little surprised. I, I thought with some of their acquisitions going out and getting Eugene Lewis, and, you know, I, I was not enamored with their quarterback situation going into the year, but I thought that Cornelius and Ford could get the job done enough with the weapons they had around them. They've got good running back. They've got some solid receivers. I like some of their pieces. Uh, I, I, I like what they've got in the middle of their defense on linebacker, and they've got some really solid pieces on, on defensive line. And Chris Jones has success in year two based on his resume in the CFL. I thought Edmonton was going to be a team to watch a little bit more than they have been this year. I thought Edmonton was going to be a team that could actually take some steps this year. They feel like they've regressed. At least last year, they were in a lot of games and and let them slip. And I know there have been a couple of cases like that this year, like the last one where they were up 22 nothing and let that slip away. But this, this group is an absolute disaster. And if you're going to, and I, I understand some of the reasoning behind why they feel like Saying goodbye to Chris Jones is not the way to go, but from a straight-up football perspective, it feels like it is going to continue to be an unmitigated disaster if they don't do something with Jones. Well, and I'm curious now as to what this next hire looks like. Todd Richards said they're going to start looking for a replacement in the coming weeks here for Victor Cooey. Are they going to bring in somebody that only has an opinion on the business side of things and... They're going to just keep letting Chris Jones sort of do his thing because I think that that's going to limit your hiring options, right? Especially for a team that hasn't won any games this season. Is the guy coming in to be your president CEO not going to sit here and say, well, the last guy clearly didn't have any autonomy over making the decision with Chris Jones. Do I have that same autonomy or do I need to get the board's approval? Because you can be severely handcuffed in one of those situations if you come in and you want to make changes, and I can understand why you want to make changes. You're 0-9. You haven't won in at home since 2019. <laughs> Things need to change. It's been almost three years since they've won a home game. And and I get it. The the this cap on on the football operations, on operations cap, is yep. stupid. It's the dumbest thing ever. Uh, I, I don't understand why you would ever hold back your organizations from spending money to make themselves better, but it's a it's a CFLE thing. Um, and I think it's playing a large role in this situation with Edmonton because most other scenarios would have us thinking pretty differently about Chris Jones's yeah. future. And I, I, I can't remember the last time a guy was on a, you know, 22 game home losing streak and an 0 and 9 start to the season and heard his job security described as solid by the director of the board. When so. this is all, when this is all said and done. Will Chris Jones's legacy be ruined in the CFL? It already remember, is. Remember, it start like he was this well thought of defensive coordinator yep. in Calgary and Toronto, and then he goes to goes to Edmonton, wins a Grey Cup, goes to Sask and turns him around, but then ditches for Cleveland. ditches, and then ever since it's been it's been ever disaster. since he left Sask, his reputation has slowly gotten worse and worse and worse and worse. And John Hodges from Three Down Nation made a good point with me yesterday on the show. Um, the GM head coaching combo in the CFL, not a very successful one right now. No. 
the way you're asking guys to manage things between players and coaches and everything else, one guy having both roles seems to be a lot right now for anybody in the CFL, yeah. Chris Jones or Dave Dickinson uh, as part of that group. Uh, before we get out of here, Jays were off yesterday, but they're back in action tonight against the Phillies and some good roster news to share with you. Finally, ahead of tonight's matchup in Toronto with your Jays report this afternoon. Here's Taylor Dingman. Time now for the Jays report on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Here's Taylor Dingman. We have midweek baseball action as the Toronto Blue Jays gear up to take on the Philadelphia Phillies in a thrilling two-game set. Tonight, the Blue Jays will be sending Yusei Kikuchi to the mound as they face off against Zach Wheeler of the Phillies. Kikuchi has been impressive this season, boasting a 9-4 record with a solid 3.53 ERA. On the other side, Zach Wheeler will be taking the hill for the Phillies with a record of 9-5 and and a 3 74 ERA. In injury news, Jordan Romano has been reinstated from the 15-day IL and will be active for tonight's game. As for the playoff picture, the Blue Jays are currently occupying third in the wild card position in the AL. First pitch will go at 5.07 p.m. and you can catch all the action right here on Sportsnet 960. Catch the Blue Jays all season long right here on Calgary's home of the Blue Jays, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. So good news for the Jays, Jordan Romano back and active, and Bo Bichette will DH at AAA Buffalo this afternoon, along with a couple other pitchers. Uh, the Jays might be looking towards getting into their lineup. That's really good news. We've wondered about Bo Bichette and his health after that knee injury popped up, but he has been working his way back. We'll play in AAA Buffalo tonight as a DH and start to get some of his regular swings back. So. An MLB return clearly on the horizon. Chad Green, who's been dealing with uh, recovery all year long, he will be pitching for the Bisons as well. So perhaps even more bullpen help coming for the Toronto Blue Jays. It's a 5.07 first pitch, as you heard from Taylor. You can hear it right here on Sportsnet 960. The fan. We will come back on the other side. We'll switch things over. Flamestock is back. Aaron Vickers is in the building. He'll join Pat Steinberg for an hour of hockey talk. That's next. We'll be back with Sportsnet today tomorrow, live from the Shaw Charity Classic at Kenyon Meadows Golf Course. Really looking forward to getting out there for a couple of hours and getting you set for tournament week here in the city of Calgary. Thank you to outstanding producers Cam and Taylor. Thank you to everybody listening and uh, who texted into the program today. Appreciate it. We will be back tomorrow from Kenyon Meadows Golf and Country Club here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.